The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also make you feel totally in control? Enter Conair Girlbomb. They're like your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results. Made just for us. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip to the professional-grade blades. Say goodbye to settling for less. With Conair Girlbomb, you get the precision and power that used to only be exclusive to men's tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb, available at Walgreens. Hello and welcome to A Musical Journey Like No Other, giving you an in-depth, invigorating, and exclusive look at the newest Smashing Pumpkins concept album, Autumn. This is 33 with William Patrick Corgan, and this is the 23rd step on this interstellar musical expedition. We are now diving into Act 3. You can now stream songs from Acts 1 and 2 on your favorite streaming services. If it's your first time listening to 33, welcome. If you've been with us since the very beginning, thanks for being fans. Thanks for tuning in. On this episode, we have a world premiere from the album Autumn. This time the song is titled Sojourner, and we're going to be talking about that with Smashing Pumpkins frontman Billy Corgan. On this episode, we're also going back to 2019 and listening to Dance Hall, off of Cotillions, which is Billy's third solo album. Our guest on today's episode is our first ever repeat guest. We're going to have the head of marketing and social media for the Smashing Pumpkins, Kareen Luxon. She's going to give us a peek behind the curtain on the streaming success of Autumn, the younger fans that are being exposed to the Smashing Pumpkins, and we're going to talk about the ugly side of music message boards. We're also going to be talking about the satanic performance that we all saw at the Grammys and gatekeeping in music and in entertainment. Kyle Davis, I know you got your passport ready to head south of the border to Mexico for the World is a Vampire Festival on March 4th. Smashing Pumpkins, of course, headlining tons of great music. The National Wrestling Alliance versus AAA professional wrestling event. All that and much more details at NWATIX.com. That passport is burning a hole in my pocket. I can't wait to get out. But it is also more plugs time. 
Make sure you like, subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it. iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, all the places you get your podcast. WPC33.com, continuing the conversation. We'll find playlists, lyrics, more on all the things we talk about. Let your fingers do the typing over to SmashingPumpkins.com for merch and info about Autumn. The release date's approaching, and of course, you mentioned it, World is Vampire Tour. Just found out TWIAV is kind of one of those hashtag things, because when I saw it, I said, what is that? Now I know. I'm part of it. And then Australia, one continent, 10 dates. 15 days, Smashing Pumpkins joined by Jane's Addiction, Emil and the Sniffers, Red Hook, more, which answers the age-old question, what do you get for the man that has everything? His own festival. WPC, look at the air you're having. Let's talk. Slaytanic. Slaytanic. Ooh, I like Slaytanic. That's a good shirt. I think I see that for merch. I'm pretty sure Slayer had a shirt, Slaytanic. That's what Makes comes sense. to mind. If not, we're going to get Jim Mitchell on it. That's a nice wrestling reference for our friends. Yeah, Father there, James right? Mitchell, the sinister minister of the NWA. <laughs> uh, Slaytanic. We'll get to round two Slaytanic in a second. Let's talk about Sojourner. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for being here. Sojourner is such an interesting song. And it's one of those ones where I conceived of it. I wrote it out on piano. And I said to Howard, how long is it? And he said, it's nine minutes long. <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, because the thing with a nine minute song is if it goes wrong, it goes really wrong because what do you rip up? Say you've done the drums and it's not working, what do you do? For the first time in a while, I took the leap into an extended song that had no rehearsal, no chance of review other than some studio demo, demos. And uh, yeah, I went in and it worked out. I found this really cool, you know, uh, budgets being what they are. I couldn't hire a Bulgarian choir but I found a, an app, or whatever you call those things, plugin, and did this cool stuff, recorded in a church somewhere in the middle of nowhere, and got some really cool tones in there. And it turned out really pretty much the way I hoped it would. It's overwrought, but it's meant to be. I'll get to the story in a second, but I'm really, really happy with the way this turned out musically. This is probably one of my favorite things on a prideful, personal level on the record, so I really hope you enjoy listening to Sojourner today. Look, when I was listening to this and, and I saw that it was, I think at the end of the, the recording, it's almost eight minutes long and it just felt so joyous and so celebratory. And we're at a point where we're starting off act three. And so that was the emotions that I was starting to pull from this, this what is really an epic song on this album. Right. But see, we're back to Slaytanic again. Before I jump into the story part, I want to know your impressions, Kyle, because I always love your insights without my sort of uh, shadow over them. So Sojourner, obviously a person who resides temporarily in a location. I'm doing that right now. I latched on to the name. But seeing where we ended on Act 2 and Act 3 felt as if some of the lyrics here were talking about shiny to me. I could be wrong about that. But the idea that we are only here for a limited time and we have a purpose, maybe, and that's why we are where we are at that given point. That's what I took from this, is that we are starting on the hero's journey. At the end of Act 2, essentially, we found ourselves resetting in the field. This is what comes next. It's finding yourself here. Where do we go from here? Moving on. I thought it just set up the rest of the story. I could be wrong. I could be right. You're going to tell us right now. It's your show. So beautifully expressed, Kyle. Your intuition's so good. You should have more faith in yourself because your intuition's totally on point here. Okay, so here's the thing. Act three, right? So imagine you've uh, sat in the theater, got your popcorn, you're back in your seat, the lights dim, and what do you see when the lights come up but a Bacchanalian, (laughs) satanic-ish, no joke, my, my prescience is really on point here for this week of news. 
the government, the X and I, has decided from a political point of view that they're going to welcome Shiny back with colors. So they're going to own the moment and they're going to make it really a cool, amazing thing. So imagine full, full production, right? The Klieg lights, the waving banners, a stadium full of people as out of the skies descends a spaceship, which features our hero who we've not met through 22 songs. And down comes his pod. So as his pod is descending out of the sky, three people sing the song in its first three movements. Who are the singers? Well, one is June, one is Ruby. If you can think of it in a movie mind, like they would appear like little balloons or clouds as shiny uh, ship is descending. So they're existentially represented. June as she tumbles into the sun. Ruby, somewhere out there, looking for shiny, knowing that shiny is landing. And then the third person who sings about shiny's descent is Osira, who's hidden in the crowd and is still being hunted by the X and I. So you hear three different perspectives on Shiny's return as the ship comes down. And then there's a musical break. And finally, the door opens and out steps Shiny, who's supposed to be 75 years old. But lo and behold, I kid you not, Shiny hasn't aged a day. For some reason, he's the same age he was when he went up in the pod. So he's basically 20 years younger than he should be. He steps out. He has no idea what's happening. (laughs) He steps out to a rally of 60,000 people in the stadium with full production, full lights. Now, you remember when he left, he was like, get out of here. You're gone. Go up into outer space. You're no longer welcome here on on the beautiful sanitized planet Earth that Kyle longs for. And now the, the craft opens. He steps back. First of all, he has no idea why he's coming back. All he knows is he was on a suicide mission with the March of Life. He was at the Paralion of the sun, meaning if he went a step further, he would burn up and die, never to come back. His ship turns around. He sees other ships going the other direction. He has no idea what's happening there. He floats all the way back to Earth. He lands. It's uh, months later from where we left off the story. So for the first time, there's a real time break in the story because it's taken time for Shiny's ship to come back. And he steps out and looks around and goes, what the hell is happening? But he's a smart guy. And he realizes it's a hero's welcome, so he's going to play along. So we'll pause there. There's a little bit more of the story, but ask any questions you might have from here. Essentially, what you're saying is he recognized that I'm probably about to become a prop for something that I wasn't supposed to ever be a part of, that I was fighting against. Dead on. And also the cognizance of, hold on, I can use this. Well, if it was me, (laughs) and I suppose in a way it is, if it was me, I wouldn't be in a hurry to go back up off the planet until I figured out what was happening. So if I'm a prop, let me figure out what the game is first, right? Okay. Okay, so let's talk about the artist's journey, which is people create what they know or what subconsciously is in their brain. So is there obviously you being you? We know this. You've talked to the people here. I know you. What was going through your head when you wrote this and the concept of am I at times in my career being used for messaging that maybe I don't approve of? Let me come at that point backwards. That's a beautiful question. Here's the point in reverse. Every outlaw look at all the movies, every outlaw wants to come home. I've said in a few interviews, maybe more obliquely, but certainly behind the scenes on the business side, I want to come in from out of the cold. I've spent 30 years on the outskirts of the public consciousness, always been treated kind of weird. Okay, I think I've earned the right to graduate to citizen of the world. I've done a lot of good things. I'm useful. I can be useful. I can help others, whether I've done anti-suicide campaigns, 
you know, with famous directors, whether I've helped raise money for victims of a mass shooting in my home community, uh, whether I help raise consciousness and money for the local no-kill animal shelter, Paws Chicago, who's very near and dear to my heart and who I have many rescue pets in my home from Paws. I want to be contributory. That's always been my journey. My particular personal journey was I was exiled before I even knew what was happening in my own family. And then when I went into the world, I was exiled by the musical community. And what did I do being a Corrigan and a maze on the other side? I fought like hell to say, you will not define my version of exile. If you're going to exile me, I'm going to go out my own way. I used to say, I'm going to sink in my own boat. Okay, so I did that. Okay, well, we went through all that. I didn't kill myself. I survived. I'm still here. Kids are listening to my music. I have my own children. At some point, you have to graduate. There's a reason a lot of the great heroes die young, because you never get to see the other part where they stoop over a little bit and they get a pot belly. You know what I mean? Like at some point, it's just like life is about celebrating and embracing every aspect of life's journey. In America, we're particularly fascinated with youth. That's fine. That's part of who we are. But I used to go and visit old people as part of what I did when I was in high school. I used to just go sit with people at the the old age home and just talk to them and listen to their stories and tell them that they had value just by, by being there. So in my own way, I just want to come home. Okay, to your other point about being used, listen, the minute you get into the public thing, you're, you're a shiny object. And even when you're dull and they're trying to throw you away, well, if, if you let them throw you away, well, <laughs> that doesn't work either. So you get into this weird middle ground of like, pick me up at the right time, but put me down at the right time. And then that's why you see a lot of people who've lost the gleam of celebrity kind of get used and abused. They become like objects that get held up and sort of tossed away. Like, look, it's so-and-so. I point to Buster Keaton showing up in movies in the 50s because he just needed some money and they would sort of use him as like, it's the guy from the silent movies, Buster Keaton, who's literally one of the greatest American actors and directors that America's ever produced, and that's in the entire history of cinema. But by the 50s, he was literally just a a third-rate character actor who would pop up on television shows and wave as some relic of another age. So I've resisted becoming that, but you can see the cost that I pay for not accepting the value that's assigned to me, and and I'm sure we're going to talk more about that as we go along in this particular episode. Uh, Let me finish the story so I don't go on too long. Uh, We like our short episodes here best we can. Okay, so Shiny looks around. The X and I is standing there, but they're wearing ceremonial robes. He's obviously welcome back. People are cheering. And wait, there's a microphone, and the head of the X and I kind of does the thing like, it's all yours. So wait, he's come back out of space after 20 years in exile. He's welcome back. They're happy he's back, and they're giving him an open microphone to say whatever he wants to say. Now, let's play a little quick parlor game. If that was you, Joe Galley, or that was you, Kyle, Joe, if you want to go first, what would you say in that moment? In that moment, you have a couple of choices. You could be completely honest with people and be like, if Chinese perspective, I don't know what's going on here, but it's great to see y'all and I'm happy to be back. I guess that's one way to do it because I don't know how much strategy you could have in that moment not knowing what is exactly happening. It's like the person who gets pulled out of the rollover car crash. You're in shock at that moment. And I feel like knowing the what to say is going to be incredibly difficult. So having that cold water thrown on you and trying to figure out where to go from there, I feel like it would be shocking. But to see that there is an ovation and a welcome, you could just kind of lean into it and keep it short and sweet and say, hey, it's great to see you all. Happy to be back. I'll check in with you later. 
Kyle's taken off his headphones because that's no, what I just uh, knocked the thing out of my head thing. No, I, uh, I actually had a microphone thrown in my face when I was in high school at an awards ceremony. And instead of being all like, hey, everybody, I, uh, I ran with it and just basically went into a diatribe about how don't be a, uh, a sheep following a shepherd that has no view in front of him and don't be this, that, and the other thing. Got a screaming match with the teacher who told me to go F myself and got suspended from school over the entire deal. So I could see both ways. You either do the classy way, which is wait, or you burn it all down in the moment when you have the Perfect. opportunity. Perfect. You've teed this up perfect. And again, <laughs> well, not again. For the first time, neither one of the gentlemen here knew the subject matter. So they're, I'm putting on the spot. But what's beautiful is they've found both angles of Shiny's options, in my mind, being the writer. Shiny can go up and be, hey, cool, kumbaya, great to see you. It's all good. Check in with you later. Or I'm a revolutionary, and just because you brought me back doesn't mean I'm, I've lost any of my vinegar and I'm going to let you know how, what I really think for wasting 20 years of my life. And hey, go, you know, what yourselves. Because he's got a live television feed, and there's 60,000 people, and he's fully aware, at least from the world that he left, that whatever he says can't be stopped. So what does he do? He goes up, he looks around, he puts his finger in the air psychologically, catches which way the wind's blowing, and he says something very benign and very open-ended, but is positive, essentially to Joe's point, thank you very much. It's so nice to be back. You know, I look forward to the future, something like that. And that's where we end on this kind of flat note, which is kind of beautiful. Like, hey, this journey's not over. It's unexpected what's about to happen, but I, I need a few more facts before I pick a lane here. And so it leaves on that particular cliffhanger, which has a lot to do with what happens next with the next song that follows. And we'll get into that, of course, next week. I think that's beautifully put, and I think we've reached a good point here where we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, you're going to hear the world premiere of Sojourner. This is 33 with William Patrick Corgan. Stay tuned. Now available for pre-order at MadamZuzus.com. The autographed 4LP box set of Autumn, the new album by The Smashing Pumpkin. This 4LP colored vinyl pressing is limited to 1,333 units and will be machine numbered and autographed by The Smashing Pumpkins. Billy Corgan, Jimmy Chamberlain, James Eha, and Jeff Schroeder. The limited edition box set includes the three-act 33-song rock opera that is Autumn, and 10 exclusive unreleased songs over the course of five seven-inch singles that will not be available for streaming or found anywhere else. Go to MadamZuzus.com to pre-order today. Free shipping in the USA, three-unit limit for order. Pre-order will ship after April 21st, 2023. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. Welcome back, friends. 33 Podcast with William Patrick Corgan and my co-hosts, Kyle Davis and Joe Galley. Very excited. This song is why I'm a musician. Or should I say, songs like this. I love the cool ones. I love the fast ones. But deep down, I'm a bit of a nerd, and I love this particular journey. I love I was able to find what I wanted in this particular journey. And for those in the back, the peanut gallery, if you want to see me sing as high as I can possibly sing, write a song in this particular key, which would have been hard for me to sing at the age of 25, and at 55, hit those notes at the end, and there's no artificial primping and preening there. That is me singing at the top of my lungs. Enjoy. Sojourner. It's somewhere on 
Welcome back, music fans. You just listened to the world premiere of Sojourner, and at this time, I'd like to welcome our guest once again back to the podcast, Kareen Luxon. Kareen, welcome to 33 with William Patrick Corgan. Hello. Kareen is in the um, socialist state of Canada. How's it doing up there? <laughs> Not so good. We just recently had a study where 70% of actually women in the country are unhappy with the way that... Uh, the way that Canada is being run and going. So kind of says something. Well, let's not go further into that because I'd like you to be able to come out of the country at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um, Karina, I, I invited you back because uh, I know a lot of people enjoyed your insight into the kind of inner workings on the day-to-day aspect of the, running the business and sort of social media. I know a lot of people here of high intellect and can kind of appreciate how that dovetails and fits into the musical vision of the band circa 2023. So let's start with some of the good recent numbers, because I think that, again, sort of highlights the work you've been doing. Yeah. I mean, I just took a look at the numbers yesterday and I couldn't, I mean, I, I could believe it. It was just, it was just great to see. Cause I've, I've really felt a great push on social media for autumn and it's just nice to see the actual, I, I only have really access to Spotify numbers, but I mean, just since Act 1 and 2 were released, we've had 10.5 million streams. So that was just since November 15th. Five and a half million of those are just for Beguiled. In the last seven days since Act 2 was released, we've had 1.4 million album streams just of Act 1 and 2. It's great to see. Overall, like just Pumpkins in general, the last 28 days, we've had 48 million streams. So, And we have over... 10.5 million listeners a month, which is a 10% increase. So normally that is around 2 to like 4%. So the numbers look great. I mean, it's just, it's amazing seeing that there's been over almost 11 million streams for Autumn since, you know, the last couple months. 
Yeah, I'm really happy about that because, you know, as I've berated on this podcast repeatedly, I was told this was a terrible idea for all the reasons that you're citing, which is why I want to kind of connect the two points. The idea that a band that's doing quite well publicly, let's call it, you're sort of on the positive side on on sort of vibe and, you know, you're headlining concerts, you're headlining festivals, you're making the big bucks, all that stuff. As we used to say in the band in the early days, we're getting big phones. That was the joke in the pumpkin camp, you're getting big phones. And yet this idea of kind of like, you know, the new music thing can kind of get in the way of that. Now, managers departed would sort of dance around the subject like, yeah, put some new music out, but it would generally be focused on trying to sell tickets, like put out a single on brand and you'll sell more tickets, right? Makes sort of a general sense, like put out a rocker and you'll sell more tickets. I kept saying behind the scenes that I didn't really think that that was what the core fan base, the people who really stick with us and then proselytize to the rest of the world why the band is a unique band in this uh, satanic world, and we'll get into Satan in a second, (laughs) Satan being the the topic of the week, why that was really important to all the other aspects of what we're doing, not only our own mental health, which is, hey, I'm a musician, I want to make music and then go out and actually play some of the new songs, but also how it connects to historically what we've represented in our own community. I'm talking about Smashing Pumpkins community, which is like, if you go around and say, hey, we're independent and free, we're not like the other kids, but hey, we do what everybody else does. That's not really a consistent message. And even times I'll say behind the scenes, you know, if new music is essentially a zero-sum game, meaning you spend a dollar and all you get is a dollar back, well, who cares? Because we have plenty to live on. We've been very, very successful. And why wouldn't we want to leave that legacy behind us that we fought all the way through to continue to um, innovate and move forward? So those numbers are really encouraging. And then another thing that Kareen told me, and you dive into this how you want to, one aspect is she's very encouraged to see lots of young fans sharing clips of Autumn's music that, you know, basically the contemporary aspects of Autumn musically are resonating with young people and they're sharing that. So we're becoming part of their world, which is, you know, a really great honor. I can't tell you how important that is to me at this point in my life that you can still reach young people where they live, not, you know, they go, somebody takes them to a concert and they get to see a play because you're a legend. I'm talking about they're finding you and then you become part of their world. But then I also want to talk to you because we did talk about it when you were here before, sort of some of the misogyny in the community because you still see where there's a aspect of older fans, particularly bullying young female fans who like the band and trying to sexualize their interest in the band. I'd like you to touch on that, because I think these are really important subjects to talk about transparently. Yeah, I mean, you can say that this is just all online, but I've had female fans tell me when, because I meet, I'm at all the, the shows doing the VIP, and I literally meet these fans, and I had a 16-year-old girl tell me that she went to a pumpkin show and she was being serious that a guy came up and berated her and said, well, what are your top three favorite songs? Because so she was wearing a pumpkin shirt. And when she said them, he's like, well, why don't you name some off of like, you know, a B-side? Like, why do you have any B-sides in there? And she was just, she felt kind of attacked in it. And so the next time she went to a show, she went with her parents. So the fact that this person went with her friends before and then had to come back with her parents was it was a little bit disheartening to me. And I said, you know, hey, I've been a fan since I was, you know, 11, um, you know, younger than that. But that's when I really got into the fan community. And that's always been there. I don't know if it's the same with other communities. And I don't want to make it, you know. You know a, a oh, to, in, to interrupt, because I've had these discussions with Jeff Schroeder of the Pumpkins. 
because he's a fan of a lot of bands and he'll, he'll go on their message boards and he says it's exactly the same. When I would get kind of feeling overly personal about what was going on in our world, um, he would say, listen, I go on the Metallica board and it's the exact same thing. They're lit- yeah. He said, literally, you can take out the word Metallica and insert the pumpkin's name and it's the exact same comments for the exact same reasons. Like the band lost it after X and it's never going to be better than Y. So obviously it's a generational thing. It's not just music. It's it's all forms of entertainment. As somebody who also follows other things, I could tell you that everybody has some sort of like gatekeeper yeah. type of entitlement to them. It's just unfortunately across the Well, that the board. has to do with social cloud, I think. That's the way people yeah. create social cloud in the online world. It's well documented. So I don't think there's anything new there. I do think it's important, though, to continually call out particularly older fans And I'm not somebody who wants to get into kind of like, let's call it the gender dynamics of 2023. I don't really care. It's not really important to me. I recognize that these are important things for people that find them important. That's like, I honor that. So it's not a diss. Like, I'm just saying I've been cool with it for 30 plus years. So I don't need to like kind of be updated. You know what I mean? You know, as I've said many times, we used to take guff for having a girl in the band. How dare we have a girl in the band? So I've been living kind of the let's call it the gender politics of the modern world for a very long time, particularly dealing with racism, whether it's racism against my own partner who's half Chinese and the other half's Jewish, so you figure out the math on that. But what I'm saying is it's important to transparently call out and say that this band wants to wrap its arms warmly around young fans, wherever they come from, whoever they are, whatever their backgrounds are, whatever their sexual interests are, we are non-denominational in that. We want everybody at the table. That's how we've always operated. That's what we want. And we represent that in a very particular way, which is like, let us be who we are, and we'll let you be who you are. And that's the sort of, let's call it the exchange on that. And I think that's why people from so many diverse backgrounds really like the Pumpkins, because we represent that. It's not about, you know, hey, I'm this race from the suburbs. It's like, no, this is who I am as a person. So I recognize you as an individual spirit. I don't need to recognize your group to recognize the individual spirit. I guess that's kind of the point I'm making. But back to the bullying part of it and making it personal for a second, this particular community that Kareen would cite, and we don't need to be specific here, bullied me like crazy in the early 2000s, into the mid-2000s. I mean, it was insane. It was like stalker-level bullying. I mean, they were making fun of everything from my weight to God knows what, right? So when the band started to gain traction again, circa 2011 and moving forward, that fan community, which had already declared me dead and sort of made me a subject of derision and and mockery, they couldn't deal with the fact that the band not only was coming back together, but was on the upswing. And now we're obviously really back on the upswing. So they go into cognitive dissonance. So they can't sort of make it about me anymore because I've won that battle 50 times over. And by the way, they're still talking about me. So I won the battle even before they started, but that's a different psychological episode. But on the other aspect of it, so what they do is they go into cognitive dissonance. So they start to attack those who actually celebrate the band in the present. So they got to sort of do this weird thing of like, well, I don't like it, or I don't like the synthesizers or something, blah, blah, blah. Maybe I like this one song, like this weird B-side that they put out six years ago. But besides that, it's all a bunch of junk. But when they see young fans having their own concurrent experience with the band, which is like, wow, it's a path of discovery. Like, I liked uh, Ramona, and now I'm into the band, and I love the Sear album, and I'm so excited with what they're doing, and I'm into the concept, and I bought the merch, and I went to the show, and then you got this you know, usually 40-something male 
you know, kind of trying to step on their toes and says, you're not a real fan, as if they were supposed to be born in a different century. So let's start there. But then this weird thing, and then when you overlay it with this kind of the, the, the sexist part of the bullying, which is to sexualize young female fans and say that the only reason they're interested in a band when they're young, which is something that Kareen dealt with a lot when she was young, you know, this is a weird overlay that that I, I absolutely have to call out and say, you cannot be doing that. That is just completely inappropriate. Why can't somebody just like a band? <laughs> like, when I was in love with Bob Dylan and was I was 15, was I fantasizing about Bob Dylan? No. But would it have mattered if I did? No. I mean, who gives a Excuse my French. Do you guys know I have a new rule in my house where if I use the SH word, I get fined $10 by my kids? Do you know that? <laughs> Ten bucks. No idea. Wow. That's the f bomb is twenty. Is it digital now? Like it used to be the swear jar where you physically put yeah. paper money yeah, or coins in. But I feel like <laughs> you got to Venmo it. Do they have to hear you though, or are you just on goodwill on this one too? You're like, ah, oh, money goes in. Well, the best is I'll be on a business call, like you know, on speakerphone, and they'll hear somebody curse, like uh, let's say uh, Tom Latimer of the NWA. They'll. Tom curse in his English accent and they go, Oh, he's got to pay the money. So they trying to like assign the fees to uh, third party entities who have nothing to do with the deal. Anyway, can, can, let's go back to the subject Kareen. Can you, can you speak on that please? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think a lot of it does, you know, Kyle, Kyle mentioned gatekeeping with gatekeeping, which is actually quite an active topic on TikTok. Cause whenever a song does blow up uh, a few years ago, Fleetwood Mac song blew up. Uh, Metallica recently blew up because of Stranger Things. And actually today, um, one of your songs at one time, a couple of years ago before we were on TikTok, it blew up. And a lot of, you know, especially female fans were mouthing along to the song and people started, you know, commenting like, oh, now everyone's going to know about this band. And it's like, people have known about this band <laughs> since the, the early 90s. So there's nothing really to gatekeep there. But it's just... I, I don't know if it's because, I mean, a lot of times I'll, I'll see comments from people saying, well, you know, I've, I've put this amount of money into the band. I've been to this many shows. I've always supported you guys. So they'll try to make it seem like, well, I'm kind of the ultimate fan, right? And because you don't give them that, like, wink back, like, yeah, like, we know these other, like, these, you know, 15-year-old fans who can only name three songs. They're not real fans. Like, you're the real guy. But it's just when they don't get that, they just kind of um, – and they don't lash out. And a lot of fans are, are are very polite, especially when they talk to me. I do see what is talked behind on my back, and I don't think a lot of people realize that because I do know who they are. But ultimately, it's just – it is interesting, this whole dynamic of what a real fan is versus, you know, these 15-, 16-year-old girls who – were like myself, you know, listening to Smashing Pumpkins all day, every day. And really, I mean, I've never really delved into it, especially with you, but essentially the band saved my life in high school. Like, like many people, you know, songs like Separated to Jerry, I would listen to that song probably 200 times on repeat, just crying in my room. And can you discount somebody's um, relationship with the band just because they're a 15 year old girl who's never seen the band before, who only maybe has a, a few of the records? I don't think you can. And then I do see a lot of younger fans, especially when I would talk to them and go up to them, because there was a lot of fans, especially younger, under the age of 20, which is, it was really heartening to see. And I think I've touched on it before for the recent fall tour. I would go up to them and they would say, oh, my favorite songs in 1979, Beguiled and Luna. But they would, it would be a song from Seer or a song from Autumn, like one of them, one of them that had been released, mainly Beguiled. 
that was one of their favorite songs. And they were like, are they going to play Beguiled today? And to hear that, it's like, wow, this is welcoming in this new generation of fans, which just, it, it really touched my heart. <laughs> I think gatekeeping is the key to get from what I want, what we're talking about to what I want to talk about. But let's start here with the idea of gatekeeping. In my particular case, and then, you know, let's call it Billy Corgan slash the Smashing Pumpkins. When people decided, it was a general cultural thing. It started actually before the band broke up, which had something to do with the band breaking up, but it's not worth exploring here. Once the band did break up, it kind of became this like, oh, good, you're dead and buried, goodbye. In fact, my therapist at the time told me, you gave them a body, they needed a body, now they'll leave you alone for a while, which was true. And so there was this kind of relief, like, okay, finally, this pressure's off of me, you know, to kind of give them a body, to use the therapist analogy, meaning like the mob is chanting, they want some sort of form of public death or public contrition, which, you know, when you look at the cancel apology, it's like a form of like, I'm on my knees, please don't behead me. You know, I committed all the crimes. You know, it's like, it's a very similar mob dynamic that reminds me of the Monty Python Life of Brian, if we're talking about the Renaissance again. But to the point I'm making... So the gatekeepers, when they make a decision, they kind of confirm their bias within. So whoever that is, like, let's call it pitchfork, hipsters, disgruntled Smashing Pumpkins fans, and people who don't really care. They all kind of go, yeah, that's done. Turn the page. So then when you actually start doing good stuff, there was good stuff in Zwan, there was good stuff on the Future Embrace, you're fighting a narrative which has now been sort of set beyond you. Like, oh, you're dead. So how are you still alive? I know that's a overly lame way to put it, but that's, I'm trying to get to the point. Like you're doing interviews about the dead version of you while you're trying to re-promote the live version of you, which never really died. So my therapist was right. I gave them a body, which relieved one form of pressure, but then it created another form of pressure, which is like, what are you still doing here? Shouldn't you be back working at a Starbucks or something? So then the community that Kareen's talking about, that's when the really intense bullying started. Because every time I would try to do something fresh or new or organic, they would just stomp on it. Like, literally right out of the gates. If I would like put something online for free, within five hours, the narrative on the song was already set. So by the time somebody got it beyond the gatekeeper, it was already tainted. It was a really weird thing to watch. The song that comes to mind and maybe should be the song for today, but it isn't, was a song. Um, what's that song? It's a, it's, <laughs> I'm gate, doing my own gatekeeping. When I first did the uh, Tear Garden Project, it's, um, it's an acoustic-y song. It's on the first EP of that. It's not song for a son or anything. No, no, it's but it's on that same one. Right. Anyway, this really beautiful song, which I'd played with our kind of side band, Spirits in the Sky, which my friend Electri- from the Electropoons, Mark Tulin, was in, Carrie Brown was in, Dave Navarro was in from Chain's Addiction. We kind of did a few gigs. Mark White's from uh, Strawberry Alarm Crack. It was a really fun gig to do. Anyway, I played this song every night live, acoustic, and it went over like crazy. And I thought, oh, I definitely got to record this for this new pumpkin stuff. The minute that song came out, I mean, they just just, just destroyed it. Worst PC ever did. I was, it was unbelievable. I, I was like staring at the comments like, this is impossible. It's just an acoustic song. The vituperative nature of the protest was so loud that it told me that there was something far greater going on than whether or not I'd written and released a good song. Did you find the name of the song? Would Awake My Mind? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's an, it's an acoustic song. <laughs> it's kind of fast. I'm blowing myself up. Anyway. You find the answer, and we'll get to it at the end of the segment. That'll be our teaser for the segment. Okay, so this is what I want to talk about. Topic of the week. Topic of the week is uh, the satanic ritual at the Grammys. So full disclosure, I haven't been to the Grammy Awards since 1998. That's because I haven't been invited since 1998. So you take that for what it's worth. 
again, once they decided I was dead, then I was no longer invited to the Grammys. Look at who they do invite to the Grammys and wonder why I'm not invited to the Grammys, and you can figure that math out as well. Anyway, I don't watch the Grammys, so it's unfair for me to say, so I'm kind of reacting off the wave that came off at which the number one topic was the the satanic performance of uh, the uh, the um, person in, in Devil Horns. I have various reactions to things this like, and I'm not trying to wade into the cultural war because I realize it's just a bunch of landmines that are being set for people like me to step on, for people to say, see, you know, you don't understand. First of all, nothing new under the sun with uh, rock and roll and, and devil music, going back to the Stones, pleased to meet you, can't you guess my name, whatever. Led Zeppelin, you know, wrapping their arms around the occult. I mean, I've done it. it there's nothing new there. So I'm not trying to be dismissive, but I'm saying part of the pearl clutching is is a little bit funny because artists uh, are supposed to push the envelope, and that reaction sort of proves that pushing the envelope was worth pushing the envelope for. But what I do want to say, and it does totally cleave into the nature of of gatekeepers, I think part of the reaction that I see and part of the reaction I feel personally is again, not so much against the art. It's the sense that whoever is gatekeeping, and there are people who gatekeep, so don't give me this conspiracy stuff that I'm inventing stuff up in my mind. I've met the gatekeepers. They do exist. Just like with MTV in the 90s, they decided at one point that this was out and this was in. For a while on MTV, you couldn't wave a gun about, and then all of a sudden on MTV, you were allowed to wave a gun about. Okay, that was a gatekeeping decision. Somebody decided that promoting images of violence and misogyny on their network was okay. And it became a huge topic at the time of why are they doing this? So when you see something like that at the highest levels of broadcasting, which is a bit of a lark because the the ratings are so dismally low, it's almost on some level not even worth talking about. If you look at the numbers from when we were on the Grammys to where they're at now, it's it's shocking how low the, the ratings are. So you can see why outrage is part of their business model. Okay, fine. I get that too. And again, I'm not trying to wade into the cultural part. I'm just talking strictly about gatekeeping. I think part of the frustration I see for middle America, and I grew up in middle America, and that includes people from all different backgrounds, okay? Uh, it certainly wasn't one of particular privilege, but I grew up in middle America. The outrage comes from the fact that they feel that somebody is gatekeeping and keeping out stuff that they are organically attracted to and promoting and pushing things that they're not organically affiliated with. In essence, it doesn't feel like an organic conversation of this is what's happening in the culture, and here's an, an even representation. So for every Madonna kissing somebody on stage, you had, I don't know, the country song of the year that was about the guy in his pickup truck or something. There was sort of a balance going on there. Now it feels very slanted that more than half of the sort of the organic aspects of musical culture are being kept out, particularly on the rock and the metal side, but also many other genres. And then things are being pushed and promoted because of particular gatekeeper decisions. And as somebody who has dealt with gatekeepers, met the gatekeepers, existed both on the plus and negative side of the gatekeeper, I can tell you that that is somebody pushing buttons at the top. Now, is it an act of social engineering? Is it an act of promotion because they truly believe in the cause? I don't think that's as irrelevant as the fact that I think people's reaction is seeing that somebody is manipulating something which is presented as inherently organic. And I think that's why the ratings are so low, and that extends to the MTV Awards. It feels so engineered and so kind of faux outrage or faux something, faux, 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 that it becomes like, I don't, I don't want any part of this because I'm not actually watching something real. And that's funny to hear out of the mouth of somebody who promotes professional wrestling. What makes professional wrestling great is not the contrivance, it's when the contrivance actually feels organic. 
they've given up on trying to make the contrivance feel organic. Now it's just, yes, it's contrived and we don't care. And that's why people, I believe personally, are shutting it off because it doesn't feel like a moment where people are having moments. It feels like they're going, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, you win and you other three or four or 17 lose. So if you look at who gets nominated, you look at who gets promoted, you pick any kind of cultural uh, entree point for music in 2023, there is definitely distinct schism between what actually sells tickets and what is huge in the culture versus what gets represented by cultural gatekeepers. And I think that's where the outrage really stems from, even though it's pointed as more pearl-clutching over like, oh my God, there's a guy or a non-binary person uh, in, in Devil Horns. I was going to say the ratings thing is also weak. More, less people have TV than they ever had before. I stream everything. I had to struggle to even and get CBS to be on my TV the other night, throwing it from an app to this, to that, the other thing. So also as the world gets bigger for everybody with the internet and there's more stuff to watch. So people don't pay as much attention to this. And as far as the pearl clutching and everything else goes, I watched it. I didn't even realize that that was supposed to be a Satan thing. So I think it really comes down to what you're looking for. I wasn't looking for that. I just thought it was two people performing a song. Rock and roll's always been kind of irreverent, having a stage show and everything like that. So it's, at the end of the day, you brought it up here before. People are looking for problems because they want to project their own stuff. This is just a perfect example of that. I hear you, and I disagree with you. But I'm saying, and I like your take on it, because all three of you work in media. Joe and Kyle help run the NWA, but also are public personalities in the NWA and our public mouthpieces for our company. And then Kareen, of course, working behind the scenes for the pumpkins with social media and marketing. Is my point about gatekeeping, does, is it landing the way I'm putting it? Does it make sense? And do you have a differing opinion or a different perspective on it? Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. I mean, just the fact that, I mean, I'm just going to go back. To, I will get back to the gatekeeping thing, but I will, you know, it was interesting you talked about the Grammys not being authentic because all over the news, what they really pointed at was the authentic moments that happened at the Grammys, which were mainly Adele's reactions to things. And that was the only authentic part people could really find. And then it was, oh, no, she didn't really mean this. She actually you know, did this instead. So you have this whole, all media now, especially with social media, they're so, they hammer home on authenticity, authenticity, authenticity. And then you have the Grammys, which is all these people who are on social media and who are in the media, and it's completely un uh, unauthentic. So it's just interesting that obviously there is a lot of gatekeeping involved in that. And it's like someone dictating what's going to be shown there because all social media now is just about authenticity and you didn't see any of that at the Grammys. But this is the thing, and just a small point to make, the temptation becomes... Let's say you have 10 people standing in a room and five are authentic and, and five are pretending to be authentic, but really aren't. And I met those people on my way too. I mean, some of the biggest stars in the world are the least authentic people I've ever met in my life. And the public believes they are so real. It's, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. So I've been there. The problem is if you're an organic person of the five staring the other five or inauthentic, but being accepted by the public as authentic, you feel this weird pressure. In essence, it's like, a poor analogy, you, you feel like you should, you know, maybe uh, not wear socks that day and show your ankle or something. You know what I mean? Like you feel like you've got to draw attention to yourself. And what's weird is the process of being organic, which I think overall, not always, but overall, the Pumpkins have been a somewhat authentic organization in, in our representations, as crazy as that has been, however I presented it. But you feel this weird pressure because if you become more authentic, 
<laughs> it actually sort of works against you because you're dealing with people who are contriving authenticity, which is very different. There's a famous story of Laurence Olivier, the great actor, uh, who was dealing in the 50s. I think uh, Montgomery Clift, I believe, was the actor. And he was getting himself all psyched up. He was a method actor, so he had to get all psyched up like he was a butcher or something and he had to get his mind all fro- in a froth how a butcher would think. Laurence Olivier goes on over to Montgomery Cliff and says, what's going on? Can we just do the scene? He's like, oh, I'm trying to get in the spirit. And he's like, but that's why they call it acting. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You flip the switch and you're on. You know what I'm saying? And having dealt with all these sociopaths through the world, it's really hard to navigate knowing that you're in competition with sociopaths and your authenticity actually seems dull against their fake version because their fake version strips away all the stuff that the public doesn't care about. And you get down to the brass uh, tacks of standing up there, putting your heart on, uh, hand on your heart. You know, I just want to thank all the fans who've been there for me and da 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 da. You know, I'm not saying it's not real, but I'm saying is that's as much of an act as anything else. Anyway, I'm belaboring the point, and probably to this audience, it's probably overly familiar for me to even drone out about. So let's jump out of this segment. When we come back, we'll name the song that I couldn't remember <laughs> that I was making some big point on. Because obviously my marketing and social media director, supposedly knows my whole world, doesn't know this song either. <laughs> God bless us all. All right, we'll be right back. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. 
With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to reu hotels and resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Salt mass house 
shines their bones with grinding violent times and violent as they pale. Monkey shines their bones with grinding violent times and violent as they pale. Monkey shines their bones with grinding violent times and violent as they pale. Welcome back, music fans. You just listened to Dance Hall off of Billy Corgan's solo album, Cotillions. And you know what? We did have a little epiphany during the break. We figured out the song we were trying to get, Stitch in Time. Am I right? Uh, Stitch in Time, yeah. Stitch in Time. That's the song. That's the song that destroyed my mind. Not because the song destroyed my mind, but when I saw the reaction to it, and then that's easy to spin back to Dance Hall and the Cotillions album. But when I saw the reaction to the song online, instantaneous hatred for that song. Now listen to that song. I mean, it's just a good song. I realized again that something else uh, greater was afoot involving my public avatar. I feel sometimes there's like Billy Corgan, the cartoon character, and I'm I'm navigating that person, not, not the reality. Uh, again, a subject for another day. As far as dance hall goes, the reason I chose this song, because I knew we were going to talk about authenticity in, in Wake of Satan. You know, it's really difficult because I did the OG Lal album, with uh, Rick Rubin. It was quite well received, and Rick did a fantastic job of getting me out of my little shell at the time. I was dealing with some really deep depression. And then we put that album out, and then while that album was kind of coming out, that's when uh, James was knowingly kind of coming back, so we knew that the Pumpkins was going to reform. We went back in the studio and did the shiny uh, volume one album with Rick, or the eight songs of that. And then after that, I wanted to follow up, because I felt the acoustic thing was a strain that um, needed some tending to. So I went in on my own with Howard and did, I think, 17 songs for the, the OG Lala album, an album I really like, and I, and I like to posit that album as sort of the dark side of the moon to the light side of the moon of the OG Lala album. I said Cotillion's album, right? <laughs> you said OG Lala. So many titles. It's, it's title day. Sorry, yeah. OG Lala, Volume 1 Shiny, and then Cotillion's, which is my acoustic follow-up, which I did on my own with Howard in Nashville. I felt like this album got lost in the gears, not because people didn't necessarily like it. I don't think they even knew it existed because once the pumpkins came back on frame, then all the attention in the room went to the pumpkins and it was very hard to get attention. Now, I did self-release this record, which was part of the issue. I didn't have the normal thing and I didn't run around and do a bunch of interviews where I was talking about my solo album, but really they wanted to talk to me about the Smashing Pumpkins. So I think you see the, um, the compromise there because I'm still asking fans in their own way to find this album. So this is a plug go back and find the Cotillions album, which came out in? 2019. Thank you very much. Seems so long ago. My goodness. I know. I think uh, Zuzu's even has a couple of box sets uh, left. I think we only made about a thousand of those. Very beautiful packaging. So, uh, yeah, I don't know where that leaves us uh, other than uh, go back to talking about Satan. or I want to talk a little bit about this song because it's such a, a departure from what we normally hear here on the podcast and where your music typically goes. There's a real country feel to this song. Also like the track uh, Jubilee off of the same album. You've got that beautiful fiddle playing in there, which I believe was done by Glenn Duncan uh, in the studio. So can you talk about what was your mindset of going ahead and having essentially doing it for all intents and purposes, if you just took, played that song in a vacuum and you said to a random person on the street, what type of music is this? They'd say it's a country song. That's a good point. 
Personally, I felt like I was on a particular journey, which hasn't been finished. I still want to do a third. In my mind, there's a third acoustic record to kind of complete the trilogy. What I really found in doing the Cotillions album was it was about making peace with my family. For example, when I was doing Dancehall, I was getting a lot of, and Kareen will appreciate this given her ethnic background, I was getting a lot of kind of psychic vibes about French ancestry, kind of like, you know, let's, let's call it the cultures that came out of Parisian cafes and stuff like that and came over to Canada. Uh, didn't very find much uh, import in American culture. But there's a certain kind of Toulouse-Lautrec-ish kind of vibe of people dancing at night. Now, there's the American version of that with the fiddle reels and stuff like that, or even square dancing. But uh, the French version is slightly different if you know any of that music. And I was getting that vibe very intensely. I do have French uh, ancestry, Belgian, French, German, probably some Polish, some Gypsy. I mean, it's all over the place. I mean, I've done my DNA, but every time you click on, you get different results. So they obviously are still amending all that. But I'm definitely a hodgepodge. But there's an example because you guys were asking me about like what comes through when I'm writing and what comes through when I'm performing. I felt these really intense French vibes. So that that rhythm that you hear on Dancehall, to me, is very much a French Cajun rhythm, which you would hear out of some of the music. If you want a sort of contemporary-ish source, listen to Doug Kershaw, who was very popular in the late 60s and 70s. has probably been the most successful Cajun type of musician to ever reach the pop charts. You would recognize some of those songs. Or if you think of Hank Williams' Jambalaya, that sort of rhythm, it's very particular to French culture. So that rhythm, because I want to really, I really tried very hard to learn the Johnny Cash rhythm, which is always supposed to be the sound of a, a train across the tracks. Chicka, 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 chicka. But my rhythm's chicka, 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 and I can't, I've, that seems to be my acoustic rhythm. I can't seem to break it. So to your question, Joe, when I was doing the record, I was really thinking a lot about my ancestry. It seemed to be about making peace with shadows and people I never met and people that died long before I was born something to do about letting the ancestors speak in a very particular language. And my grandmother was born in Kentucky, and I was basically on my father's side of the family raised Southern, if anybody knows what I mean by that. You know, even though I grew up in Chicago, that side of the family is very Southern, thick accents and high, high voices up here like this. You know, even the way I sing is up in here like this. It's uh, very much uh, got to do with those ancestors. And Cotillion is actually a French dance. So right off the bat, you're on there. And also, I was going to ask you another version of the the meaning of that word is it's a it's to teach respectful manners to young people as they're growing up. So I was wondering if maybe that had something to do with the title of the album as well, if it was supposed to be a, a commentary. No, I like the idea of a dance. You know, it's it's a little bit too glib to say the dance of life. I feel that's overly used, you know, in, in world music, you know, like we're all dancing and, you know, we're all together. It's just the dance life. Like everybody's got their own sort of rhythm. Everybody's got their own sort of things they've got to sort of navigate. So when you get in the musical shadows and cotillions very much deals in the musical shadows, that's what I mean about Dark Side of the Moon. OG Lala dealt with the bright side of somebody coming out of really deep depression and trying to find some sort of sunshine, uh, which is a particular thing. Having sort of survived whatever <laughs> round four of my mass depressions are, OG Lala was like pluming back into the depths of shadow. And saying, okay, now now that I'm sort of intact and I can look at these things with a whole heart, sort of what do you need to show me? And it was very much about family, including my own family. There were some songs on there about my kids and stuff like that. So that's what's sort of painful. And I'm talking personally now. I don't want to be a professional complainer. I did that for plenty of years. But personally, it's difficult because I have 
written heartfelt music that I know will connect with people who are truly fans of what I do. And because of marketing, because of satanic gatekeepers, many of those people don't know this music exists. And what should I do outside of opining on a podcast to let people know, hey, by the way, see, that's sort of the magic of the streaming service. And I think, Kareen, you can speak to this uh, specifically once I get done here. But that's the magic of the streaming services is you find stuff you didn't know was even there. The price of entry is so low if you're a subscriber, meaning i.e., it's free to press a button other than your time. I've always had great faith that people would find my catalog. And you see that now where people come in on Machina, they go back and find Gish and young fans are finding Future Embrace and all this stuff. And even the albums which are currently off market, the Warner Brothers albums of uh, Zwan, uh, Future Embrace and uh, Zeitgeist. Hopefully those will be out soon enough. And then the unreleased stuff like uh, even uh, the Spun soundtrack, stuff like that. I have a very deep faith that people will find stuff, but it's frustrating because I live in real time, right? I'm, I'm here right now. I would love to walk up to a fan in an airport and have them talk to me about cotillions. Chances are, 99.8% of the time, that person is not going to know about it. But let me give you a story that's just quick, a wrestling story. I was driving down the road to wherever I was going, you know, middle of the country. This is not too long ago. Checked into a random hotel in the middle of the night. Guy says, uh, you know, can I see your ID? Give him the ID to get the room, blah, blah, blah. You know, roadside hotel type of thing. The guy kind of, it's, I, you know, you get used to these kind of flinches and I'm thinking, oh gosh, the guy, I know who's I, who I am. And then now it's going to be, is it a security issue? Because people are going to know I'm here. And I'm, when I wake up in the morning, people are going to be waiting for me downstairs. And, you know, just typical dumb stuff. But anyway, so the guy kind of looked at me a certain way and he goes, hey, I really like what you're doing with the NWA. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, nice. total random hotel roadside stop and the clerk working at the middle of the night. Young guy, probably about 30 years old, he goes, I really like what you're doing with the NWA. Keep up with a good job. That's what he wanted to talk to me about. So it works all different ways, right? I can sit here and talk about my frustration that somebody doesn't know some song I wrote three years ago and is available on a streaming service, and all I got to do is press a button. And then you, you walk in randomly, and somebody knows something that you can't imagine that they would know. But can you talk about the connectivity on the streaming services? Because I think that's something, I, obviously, we started today's segment with you with talking about numbers. But I mean, talk about the real on-the-ground connectivity that you're seeing. Yeah, I mean, streaming services have, I, I can say just on a monthly basis, and you said not to get into numbers, but like 18% of our streams for Splashing Pumpkins are just from people finding pumpkins on playlists. Sometimes they're Spotify editorial ones or just people that they put together their own playlists. But people always, common gripe I hear, especially since I do a lot of the merchandise is, I'm never going to live up as a fan and the band doesn't like they don't care about me as a fan because I don't spend the money. I don't spend the money on concerts. I don't spend the money on vinyl. I don't spend the money on blankets. And I when I see people in person or I message them back, I say, what you can do is just share a song, maybe a B-side, maybe something from one of Billy's solo albums, anything. Share it on your social media. It's this easiest thing to do. And that's supporting the band. So you you don't have to spend anything and you can support the band. And I've really, I try to encourage people just by resharing their posts around them just sharing music. Like, hey, I just discovered this song. You know, the other day I shared um, Age of Innocence. Many people probably have never heard that song. You know, it was one of the songs off Machina. But now more than ever, it's just about people sharing these songs on TikTok on Twitter, on Instagram, it's the easiest thing to do. And I felt 
such um, a surge of people doing that more, just sharing a photo of themselves with a pumpkin song. Um, it's been really helping. Okay. I think this is the perfect way to end. And this is why you've been such a great guest today, because you inspire these types of conversations. This is a true business thing. And I'm going to reveal something. It's not like super inside baseball, but I'm going to reveal something that I would say in a business meeting. And this is the beauty of these conversations. And before I go into this last little point, let me say thank you to everybody that's listening. I get a lot of comments on these podcast episodes. There's a lot of people that are really getting used to us doing these. And one comment I hear a lot is, I wish they were longer, which is a great compliment. So thank you for listening. We try to keep it short, best we can. But maybe if this uh, series continues past the autumn project, hopefully maybe we can even do deeper dives on other subjects. So let me say this. In behind-the-scenes business conversations, I have to stress over and over and over again, and Kareen's been in some of those meetings, the true value of the band is not the way the band has been measured historically. <laughs> not record sales, not records in the charts, not merch sales. Trust me, this band, and by extension, yours truly, is undervalued. And you see it with what people are paying for song catalogs. Bruce Springsteen, $500 million. People just are not buying songs. They're buying brand value. The value of this brand is not yet at its proper level. Why is that? Well, the band blew itself up. Okay, start there. But we did pick a fight with gatekeepers, yours truly included, and that hurt the band brand greatly between 2001 and whatever. Pick your year. Doesn't matter. Let's say 2015 begins the true reformation. Okay, so for 14 years, you had people sort of beating the brand down into the dust and people telling me that the only value of the brand was to go out and play Siamese Dream or whatever, right? You know that rant. And I've said repeatedly for over 20 years, the true value of this brand cannot be measured. So what Kareen said is absolutely positively true. The most significant thing anybody can do for us, if you want to do anything for us, is to be part of the larger conversation of the band's true value. The way people in the music business measure value these days is clicks, shares, but I'm not even saying, hey, please click and please share. It'd be great if you did. What I'm saying is the true value of the band cannot be measured by any of those metrics. And that's what blows the minds of the gatekeepers who declared this band, and by extension, yours truly dead. They cannot believe it. They cannot believe it. And then if they go into cognitive dissonance and they have to accept, okay, there is some value, then they go into a sub-argument, which is, well, Siamese dream is valuable, but not melancholy. Or Siamese dream and adore, but, 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 but. They can't accept that their calculus of how they generate value does not apply to this band. And let me tell you the great secret of this band. This band and brand was weaponized against that very system from the beginning. Go back and look. Look at the interviews. Kareen likes to share an interview I did in Canada in 1992 or something, where I say it out loud. Here's who we are. We're not like the other bands. So for over 30 years, I've been waiting for this moment. I'm not running around with a flag saying I've won. haven't won anything. What I'm saying is this was set up to be against all that. You will not judge our value and you will not assign my value based on sales, clicks, likes, likability, any of those calculus. It will not work. We are the hipster killer in that. 
gatekeepers be gone. And trust me, now that the gatekeepers of the world, particularly in music, have eroded through their own hubris, their own value in the marketplace, I mean, they literally blew themselves up. They had the whole world by the you-know-whats, and they blew themselves up because they couldn't help it. They had to go for that extra like. They just couldn't write a good article or share real value or inspire people. They had to get off as they sat around in their coffee clutches telling themselves, did you read my negative article versus your negative article? And they told themselves they had value. And you know what's coming now? AI-generated journalism. It's already happening. It's already been announced. AI-generated journalism. So to all those who declared my value dead, enjoy going back to your version of Starbucks because that game is afoot because you've rendered yourself useless. And why have you rendered yourself useless? And I'm talking about everybody. I just talked to journalists the other day. It was fantastic. Okay. I'm not trying to paint with the widest brush, but a fairly wide brush because I've met most of them and you've all read the articles, I would assume. You've rendered yourself useless because what attracts people to music is not negativity. (laughs) It's human spirit. And when you denigrate the artist that they're connecting with on a human spirit level, you're also denigrating their spirit. Now, if you can create a negative loop You know what I mean? Like you make them feel something through negativity so they feel bonded to you in sort of a Stockholm syndrome. You feel kind of a form of Stockholm syndrome. What do you mean I'm not cool? Tell me what I'm supposed to listen to. Ultimately, that person will grow to resent you because you're negatively attached and affixed. So all those cultures that were built in the early 2000s around negativity, they've all crumbled because the human spirit wins every single time. And even if we're talking ha 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 about Satan, (laughs) you know what I mean? Satan's not going to win either. It's about human spirit. So if you're with us, if you're listening, if you're supporting, that is the greatest act of faith. It's about faith. So thank you for being here. Thank you to Joe, Kyle, and Kareen for an inspiring discussion. We'll see you next week. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Jamaica and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. 
Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Thursday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.